mental toughness is a finite, you have a finite amount of it. It's like the more mentally tasking things that you do before, before something actually tasking like a physical workout, you're not able to cope as well. And she measured that in, in some of these ex- experiments. Yeah. There's some really like hilarious experiments about like mental exhaustion. Right. So and it's like when my, my athletes at 5 PM are like, that workout was really hard. It really sucked. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, cause you were tired. Yeah. Yeah. Or like your, your stress level, it affects, mm-hmm. it affects how you can perform or, um, yeah, it's yeah. like being able to be fluid, like exactly like you said, Keely, it's like, yeah. like you're, you are able to figure out, you get to choose what you need to be tough about and you right. don't need yeah. to Absolutely. be, you don't need to be tough about everything. You There's a difference between toughness workout. and stubbornness, right? Totally. Like, you don't need everything to be a suffer fest. Like it's not, you know, we're already doing no, like, a sport that's inherently a suffer fest. We yeah. don't need to make it harder. <laughs> I had a talk with Jen Hughes about this recently about like things being hard. Well, like what happens if the hard is actually just easy? Right. Like we make things hard, which I, well, like, I love that idea. Yeah, I have an athlete right now who's like, I've been feeling really, really good on these workouts. Like I should probably do more. Right. And I shouldn't feel good. I'm like, can you stop? <laughs> You're allowed to feel good. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. But also, I mean, there's this idea of like mental toughness. Like once we have it from like this whole idea of like what David Goggins or whatever, it's like now you are like impervious to any challenge that you're able to just like have this abundance of mental toughness because you like have this ability to suffer and do like do hard things but like that's not how it works yeah okay <laughs> let's do this this is good save it save it for the pod okay it might be a cold open we'll see i don't know oh, you ready just i think it should be a cold it. open just keep it going okay <laughs> but to keep things on track a little bit we'll get this thing teed up Hey, hi, hello. It's us. Welcome to episode 43 of Trail Society brought to you by our friends over at Free Trail, a growing podcast network, media empire. We're taking over. Um, I'm Corinne Malcolm. I'm Keely Henninger. And I'm Hillary Allen. And you can't get enough of us. Or maybe you can get too much of us. I'm not sure. Hopefully you're out on a long run right now. Um, Hilly, you were just in Spain. You're back from Spain. You're getting ready to go to like a bike race, but also a running race. Like what's going on? Everything. Everything's going on. Um, it's happening. This season is here. If you didn't already find that out from last week's episode with Keely. Um, but, uh, yeah, I just got back from Spain. It was a really cool hybrid trip of doing a really cool, like, bike packing adventure combined with like a team camp excursion and like thing in Girona, Spain. Um, I got to do some running. I used it as kind of like a some running. Sp- you had like 50 K yeah, days in there. I know. Just I like did. a little bit of running. Just like <laughs> some a lot running. Of running. So casual. Um, don't look at her Strava if okay. you're listen to this. Just don't ignore it. Bad influence. Hey, no. <laughs> <laughs> if you'll see though, before I did the big runs, I literally did no running the week before. Not no, but like I, I had a very like down week. But um, yeah, it was a I'm tired. Uh <laughs> so I'm not doing that much this week because I'm heading out to um do my first like actual race that's a double and do the mid-south double race, which is a 50k running race on Friday, and then a hundred mile bike race on the following day to Saturday. So Good man, here she comes. <clears throat> Here I come. Is it a gravel race? <laughs> it is. Yeah. Mm, Sweet. I think Heather fun. Jackson's going to be there. Yeah. I saw um, that. Yeah. In the gravel race. Nice. For gravel season. Yeah. I'm excited. Is she doing the 50K? 
No, I just think she's doing just the bike the gravel race. ride like a normal yeah. sane person. Okay, yes, you're right. <laughs> what is normal? Speaking of normal, Keely, how are, how's your body feeling? I know that you're back back running. You're uh, you're still in your your workout clothes because you got to lift after this. Um, how's uh, the recovery post Black Canyon? Uh, the recovery went really well. Yeah, I took a full week off and bookended the week with some skiing. So, you know, that was a good way to kind of flush out the legs, I think, after four days of of doing absolutely nothing. Um, and a little bit of humble pie, too, going from something you're really good at to then doing something you're really bad at, I think was a good ego check to be like, OK, this race went I really well, but I'm still pretty much a giraffe on ice skates. <laughs> um, that all being said. I feel like after two days in a row, you you start feeling pretty confident. I feel like I got down to running pace finally. So I felt pretty confident, but um, nice. still pretty bad. <laughs> Anyways, uh, recovery <laughs> since then has been really fun. Um, I've been doing mostly brain work, um, studying like eight to 10 hours a day and then running whenever I have time or whenever I feel like it. And so Tyler's given me a couple of weeks of uh, self-prescribed running where I'm just to try to stay under a certain mileage and and just run when it makes sense and nice. prioritize um, some mental fitness mm. with the MCAT. And it's really helpful. Like I can't emphasize how much running does take out of your brain power because I think when I was studying during the build for Black Canyon, I felt like I was being productive, but definitely was kind of plateauing and would get a little frustrated. And then since having, you know, two and a half weeks of a lot less running and a lot more studying your brain just starts firing on all cylinders. It feels pretty good to be like, okay, cool. At least I can do this now. So we're going to talk about mental tapering a little bit today, but yeah, I, when I did biathlon, when you like, once you took a few days off from shooting, for example, like all of a sudden you'd like get better. Like you're like, this is a skill, like resting the skill shouldn't make me better akin to, you know, skiing, right. Or like physiological Mm -hmm. stress. But yeah, as soon as we take a couple of days off, and you'd like, you'd rebound from it and you'd be a better, a better shooter when you came back to the mat again, it was always kind of wild. So mental tapering, we're going to talk about it in just a little bit. I promise. <laughs> I promise. You've been doing some workouts, Corinne. How are you feeling? Yeah, I did my first, um, well, I, re- I realized a couple of weeks ago that like most of my workouts in the last 18 months have been on a bike. And, um, and I was fortunate to live very close to the Marin headlands where I could just like throw down threshold work, riding uphill basically whenever <laughs> I wanted. Um, and so recognizing that I don't have quite that access here in Seattle and I've been doing some bike trainer stuff, but, um, my, I've been feeling really confident in my body and really excited to train. And so I have been getting back to kind of speed basics. I did some threshold workouts in which I was like, I don't think I'm, I felt like it wasn't my lungs that were the limiter. It was like my legs, like my legs just weren't used to moving that fast. And so I've actually like instead of ramping those intervals to be longer or on like a greater incline, I've actually, I've added some shorter intervals to my week, which are kind of like almost in between zones in a way. Like they're probably not quite fast enough to be via two max, but they're definitely like probably like a slightly above threshold still. Um, just to try to like work on leg speak. Cause I'd feel mm-hmm. like I haven't done that in like two years basically. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, did, baby did giraffe. Yeah. Giraffe, heavy, heavy, weird giraffe trying to run around Seward park here in Seattle. So I'm um, doing another workout like that tomorrow. Um, and then doing Fun. lots of Hills to complement it basically nice. like lots of like endurance, um, pushes in the Hills to get ready for Madeira. So hopefully I can run fast in the Levadas and climb really well. Yeah. We should do, uh, 
a ski running video. You can run threshold pace and I'll cross, I'll skate ski and we can look like the two most unathletic people out there. <laughs> yeah. One year I did the Berkey, the American Berkey Biner, which is a 50K oh, ski cool. race. Yeah, yeah. And then the next weekend I ran way too cool. Okay. Um, oh, geez. And so I classically the American Berkebiner, which is 55 kilometers. And then mm-hmm. I ran way too cool. And I think I like, it was like basically the exact same timing for both of Got them. Got it. Wow. It's like, way too cool is like 29 miles <laughs> and the Berkey's, yeah, a little bit longer than 50K. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a very fun double um, <laughs> to pull off, to pull off that spring. That was the spring of, I want to say 2018. Um, fun. But yeah. Yeah. It's really cool. I totally love skiing. I just like, don't love it enough to drive an hour and a half every weekend. But if I lived in the Zamas <laughs> or lived where it was a 20 minute drive, I would ski probably five times a week. It's great. Yeah. We're a little <laughs> bit too far here. Like we're 45 minutes to an hour. And at that point we're in really good backcountry terrain. So it's yeah. like, I'd rather go backcountry ski so mm-hmm. that I can have extra fun on the downhill. Um, yeah, that's that how it is here too. Yeah. Um, okay. Before we get too far into this, we've got to give a shout out to people that make this happen. At the top of the hour, it's got to be AG1. You know, the green drink. The green drink that we've been on for like a year now, uh, a part of our daily routines. We're loving it. Steven is hooked. I'm so glad I got another shipment of it because that's like what Steven's taking um, in a water bottle before he heads off to work every day. And if you want to get your hands on AG1, you can get a one-year free supply of immune-supporting vitamin D and five free travel packs of AG1 with your first purchase. And what you're going to do is you're going to go over to athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Again, that's athleticgreens.com slash trail society. Doing so helps support the podcast. Um, and again, you get kind of some extra goodies with that that first uh, first purchase. So go check it out. Let us know how you feel about the product. Um, I've been digging it. Steven's been digging it. I'm glad we got a resupply recently. Okay. Results, <laughs> results, results, results. Um, because the last time we talked, it was Keely, Meg Morgan, and I, we kind of skipped some results um, that we think are really important, including Formidable, which happened the same weekend as Black Canyon. And it was confusing because we had no idea what happened in this race for like a long time because we couldn't find results. We couldn't find anything posted about it. I was wandering on the finish line at Black Canyon asking everyone, hey, do you know what happened at Formidable? Danny, have you heard from MK? Like what's going on? It was a team, it was a team USA selection race for worlds and it qualifies them for, it's like a 40 ish K it's like somewhere between 42 and 46 K I think this year in June in Austria. Um, and the race was, the race was fast and fierce and ferocious. I don't think it was as wet as it has been in years past. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the men's side, Jonathan Aziz, who was on the mountain, the classic mountain team this past year, made the team. Um, he won Craig hunt was second. Um, he's been on a 50 K like road worlds team. I believe he was second. And then Jacob Grant was third. So both Jonathan Aziz and Craig hunt will get spots on that world's team. The women's podium was super, super cool. And it looked like it was really, really tight racing, like lots of mm-hmm. back and forth between eventual win- winner, Kimber Maddox and second place finisher MK Sullivan, but Claire Rhodes, who's like a young Alaskan, um, doing graduate work in actually at UNR in Reno right now, um, like duked it out the entire time. And it was really cool to see. So Kimber and MK get spots to worlds, which is really, really exciting. And then Keely, you just plopped in some information about, um, from Kimber's Instagram. Can you talk Mm -hmm. about that a little bit? 
Yeah, I don't know if you guys saw Kimber's Instagram, did, but yeah. she posted a reel after the race um, and it kind of just highlighted her past. For, so for those of you who don't know, um, Kimber had like a pretty dilapidating injury that sidelined her from trail running for like three years uh, where she was unable to run pretty much at all. And so she just posted a reel um, highlighting that, you know, whether you're taking a break for injury, a break for life reasons, a break for pregnancy, um, like it's okay. And that you should embrace the, embrace the break, embrace your body, give your body the rest that it needs and, and know that like, you'll come back stronger and to keep your heart and mind in it for the long run so that you can like appreciate your body when you're back. Um, and don't let that break, like knock you down because it's mm-hmm. possible to come back after a long time off. Like that doesn't mean your career is over. Um, and in Kimber's instance, it's really cool to watch because, you know, she broke onto the trail scene really quickly. And I think 2014 got signed by Nike right away, was crushing it. And then had these slew of injuries that really sidelined her and she found her way back to running and is now crushing it again. And, and it was after yeah, like a really her, long time. Her off, OCC so. in August was yeah. like so inspirational, ended up finishing just off the podium, um, but leading a, like helping to lead behind Danny Moreno, a really strong group of women, us women in that OCC competition. I remember seeing her after the flower ceremony, yeah. little podium ceremony. Um, she was thrilled. Yeah. And, and was the seventh at Worlds back. this yeah. year yeah. or something? So top strong. woman, Amer- seven, top American at Worlds, like just, just crushing it this year. So yeah, excited cool to see her to back. See back on that world's team and then trans grand canaria obviously there's like i think there's four or five races at trans grand canaria there's a race yeah, so every distance but the classic that 128 kilometer race um is kind of the big the big race that we think of at trans grand canaria mm-hmm. um as far as like the 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 feature <laughs> race of the weekend um although they're trying to build up the competitive level in all the races there but uh keely you want to talk about your coach <laughs> <laughs> You want to give, you want to give um, the men's podium a little shout yeah, out, or at least so Tyler Green a little shout out. I'll give Tyler a shout out, but yeah, for the men's podium, we have Andrew Simone and Miguel Arsenio first and second. And then we got Tyler Green coming in third and, you know, he was patient all day, just picking people off, which is, you know, typical so Tyler smart. fashion mm-hmm. race, super smart. His crew got a dose of food poisoning. So there was all sorts of drama in the green Drake household, um, <laughs> with Rachel being out with, with, a you know, sickness and then his parents taking over just all sorts of stuff. Um, but he persevered, got third. They had to hightail it out of there after the the race. They had a flight that kind of depended on him racing pretty quickly. So, you know, all things aside, he crushed it per the Keely Henninger plan. Um, yeah, it was. It was. <laughs> Listen to me, which don't recommend doing that. Um, anyways, yeah, he got third. And I was so proud to watch him just pick off people all day and stay so consistent and true to form. So sounds like he's recovered really well and is excited to, you know, kind of pivot gears here in the next month towards Western States. So, yeah, I think that was the big question mark. Was he going to do Western States again or not? Like was UTMB going to be the focus? Um, it was kind of interesting to kind of watch that all play out, but yeah, like he, his Instagram post is also really good talking about like being a little bit more aggressive this time and still being more aggressive, still meant not like not leading the race, but staying yeah. in contact. Um, and I think that that is much more emblematic of his potential than like UTMB mm-hmm. from 2022. So mm-hmm. Tyler, we love you. Tyler, so we love you. <laughs> um, the women's podium though, like someone, someone tweeted death taxes and Courtney, like the three <laughs> things we can count on. Um, Billy Yang, yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. so certain she broke. I mean, okay. Course, courses change every year. Yeah. I've been told that this course is this year's course is a little bit longer 
than years past. Um, therefore, in my mind, it's like, just give her the, she gets the course record. Um, <laughs> because I think she broke what was Caitlin Gerben's course record by like 30 plus minutes, mm-hmm. um, like almost 40 minutes. So she's the first one to ever go under 15 hours crossing the island, which is a big deal. And she won by like over 90 minutes, um, mm-hmm. which is just like, okay. So course record at Bandera, course record at Transgrand Canaria, now she's going to go to Western States, right? Like just, oh, Courtney DeWalter. Um, <laughs> what do we do? Just like, like it's, yeah, it'll be, wow. That's really bad. terror. Yeah. There was a little bit of a Twitter thread going on too, about her being undefeated. And some people mm. were getting a little hot and bothered by saying undefeated because I mean, there's been races where she's dropped out. There's been races where she's not technically undefeated, but it's like, no, every race she's finished where there's been a finish line. She's undefeated. Yeah, I think the big question <laughs> yeah. was Barkley, like, right? Yeah, where Barkley where she didn't she didn't one, get a but... fun run finish, and another woman did get a fun run finish at Barkley. Mm-hmm. And I think Courtney would own that in my yeah, mind. She Courtney would, would say, sure like, yeah, like this woman was badass. Like we should yeah. give her kudos. <laughs> I um, think but... she's owned it, especially even with Hard Rock, where she's like dropped yeah. out, or <laughs> yeah. Western States when she drops out. She doesn't really make excuses as much as just saying like I was not. It in wasn't it. my wasn't yeah. my day. I didn't have which it. I think is really admirable. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I think States will be super interesting. I think there's a lot of women eyeing that course record, and I I wouldn't be shocked if the course record's broken this Despite year. Despite it not probably being a good year for it, because like, yeah. even like, though it's not a good year for it, I still wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's going to be fast yeah. and, and furious mm-hmm. this year. And then uh, behind her, although a ways behind her, the race for second and third was actually very close. And their yeah. times were pretty comparable to Ragna and Abby Hall's times from le- the, the addition of this race in 2022. And that was um, the up-and-coming Jasmine Lothar, who's just mm-hmm. like so abundantly talented yeah. and probably undervalued, I think, at this point. But she said she, last year was so good for her. I'm hoping that that just is a continuation this year. And then Claudia Tremps mm-hmm. um, finished third, but they were only like four or five minutes apart, I think, at the finish line. Yeah. So that battle for second and third, I think, went mm. back and forth all day. Yeah. Um. So kudos, kudos to the women running at the podium. And then way too cool just happened. Mm-hmm. Um. Such a good race. It looked race. crazy with oh, the conditions. Oh my goodness. I heard the water crossings were like waist deep. Yeah, it's I heard. Wow. Keely, have you done way too cool? I did. I did it back in uh, 2017 and got second to Megan Rush, the queen. The queen. Nice. Yeah. And then couldn't so t- this quite year, catch her. This year was wet and cold. Um, though it's generally at least it's generally both those things. I think there was more, even more water on the course than usual. Um, times were definitely slower. Like mm. men's and women's winning times this year to last year were like. 10 minutes slower on the men's side, 15 or so minutes slower on the women's side. Mm -hmm. Um, but really, really good competition. Like Craig hunt, just like what, like a couple weeks after formidable is back on the start line and ends up walking away with the win here. Um, but that was not without drama. Like (laughs) I didn't know this until I saw Preston Cates's Instagram post Preston, who we, I think blew all of our minds at canyons a couple of years ago, 2021, mm-hmm. like out of nowhere was running with like a super old school hydration vest. Like his dad <laughs> was crewing him. It was really cute. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, landed a Nike contract really quickly. Um, and I think it's kind of not struggled per se, but I don't think he's, I don't think he's performed to his potential yet. Um, and I think this was like the shimmer of that. And he was leading, through like mile 28 and it sounds like felt really good. Like didn't feel like he was pushing, felt really good. And then everything locked up 
and he got passed and then he got passed and then he got passed again in the finishing shoot. Oh, oh no. no. And so Preston Cates ends up finishing fourth. So in second, you have Ryan Becker. I don't know if okay. you know Ryan, Ryan Becker. Becker's been crushing Love it in Ryan the short distance too. So fast. Yep. Um, in second. Um, and then Chris Myers in third. So great men's podium. Preston Cates, you'll get him, you'll get him next time, maybe. Um, and then women's podium was really tight. Yeah. yeah like super tight. Four minutes between first and third. Yeah. This is the theme of this year. That's why I'm saying that the, the hypothesis about states. It's just, it's been insane on the women's side with times. Yeah. Yeah. But Canadian cat short, uh, love the Canadians. Um, she, she led wire to wire, took off really fast. It sounds like at the beginning, according to Katie Asmith, um, and just was like hammering. She, she took home the win in just over four hours. Um, she was like 404 or 402 yeah, or Whereas like yeah. MK last year, I think was 345. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. um, right. Kind of at that Megan Roach time on that course. And mm-hmm. it is, it is a short course. It's not 31 miles. It's like 29 something. Um, so it's a little, it's definitely fast. And it's a little bit short. Mm-hmm. And you start with like a downhill road mile at like five. Oh yeah. It's pace. a fast race. Yeah. It's I was sub four, but again, we didn't have quite as much mud as they did. It sounds like. Yeah. Yeah. So I think like that four hour mark is like kind of the podium, generally speaking. So, mm-hmm. so this year was, I think, especially weathery, but yeah, sounds like it. Cat short with the win 51 seconds later, Leah yeah. Yingling. Oh man. It was like charging. Like, and I've seen her charge. She was charging down to me at Gorge and like, she closes so fast. So I can't even imagine. <laughs> Leah, the closer Yingling. <laughs> so yeah so so fast um closed 51 seconds back of the win and then katie asmith in her first race back since fracturing her fracturing her navicular bone at western states last june so seven months back she'd have surgery um to pin to pin this bone that she broke because it's not well um it doesn't, get, it doesn't have good blood flow and so had a surgery it was non-weight bearing long long recovery she's been back uh, off a of cross training for about two months um, doing like really good run training and, uh, finished third. I think she cried the entire race. As far <laughs> as I know, she's a very emotional human being. Um, but really cool to see her back. Cause I think when yeah. you come back from big injuries like that, akin to your win at black Canyon, like, it's just, it's so cool to see people get knocked down and, and come back. It's inspirational every single time. Yeah. So mm-hmm. cool. Katie seems so awesome. stoked. Yeah. And then our other favorite spring 50K. Mm, um, favorite for sure. Anthony Costales and I have decided, and we're going to make this a rule, that we like every other year, it's like the odd years we go to Chuckanut, the even years we go to way too cool. Because <laughs> the field gets divided every year and you it never really know where does. anyone's going to be. Know. And neither one's on ultra signups. So you like never know who's in either race. And it's yeah. like, it splits it splits the competition and formidable split it even more, I think this year with it being a USTU yeah. qualifier. But Chuckanut will also be a good race. It sounds like, um, I think Devin Yanko's racing. I think Taylor I think Nolan's Claire's racing. Going. I think Claire Gallagher. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's going to be, uh, Eric LaPuma and Chris Brown. I know are racing on the men's side. I think it's going to be a good, a good field. I don't know if it's going to be quite as deep as last year where the women's field was like insanely deep, like 13, mm-hmm. 15 people with like times that normally would be good for the podium. Mm-hmm. Um, so that is coming up. This comes out chucking out weekend or chucking out week. So mm-hmm. go chucking out racers. We'll be cheering you on. Um, can't wait to talk about you all in the next podcast. <laughs> I'll be there. I'll be there cheering. So uh, if you're at chucking 
come find me. I will yell things at you in a positive manner. <laughs> oh man, I was gonna, I was wanted to go so badly. It's just too close to them, Kat. So I'll be studying. Yeah. Yeah. I feel mm. like one of my, one of my favorite memories is actually like us having a women's training weekend mm, at Chuck and so I was like you Ladia. and Sarah Bard and Ladia yeah. and Caitlin. It was good. Um, we I made that race. banger tacos too. Okay. <laughs> Besides the point <laughs> this week for news, it's kind of, it's kind of got a theme actually accidentally. Um, it's women's history month for those of you who don't know that, and this will come out like towards the end of the month. So hopefully you've been celebrating. Um, but Luke Nelson reached out to me from scout mountain races. Um, they run a great series of or like kind of a race weekend in June every year. And, uh, they announced that they, um, have like, they're making an effort to bring more women and non-binary folk, um, into their events. And so I just pulled this quote from them and they said, we're excited to reach out to each of you and share an announcement and some changes coming to the Scout Mountain Ultras. To celebrate Women's History Month, we've decided to make changes to the fu- to, to help the future women at Scout Mountain. Starting now, we are committing to have at least 50% of our field at our races be women, femme, or non-binary. As it stands at this time of the post, um, this came out on their Instagram, the overall percentage of women in the race is 42%. So 38% in the 100, 25% in the 50, 43% in the 50K, and 55% in the 21 miler. Um, so they're not doing too bad actually, Mm -hmm. but they're like, they're like, it's not good enough, (laughs) um, which I love that's like, that's how you move the needle. And so what they've decided to do this month is that if they're trying to like, kind of push registration as well, which I think is smart. And they're saying, Hey, if you, if you're a woman or non-binary individual, or you like kind of identify in the femme category, we will give you a 50% off for your entry for people who have already women who have already registered, they can get a refund. 50%, 50%, they can also donate 50% of their entry so cool. to another woman or a non-binary individual for their race entry, um, or it can be donated to a women's rate to a women's organization, like women of the Wasatch, Trail Sisters, et cetera. Um, and they're gonna survey the women in the race to get a better understanding of like their needs, right? Are we meeting their um childcare needs? Is there a way that we can subsidize some of those childcare needs? And they're like the legalities of running like childcare at a race is like very complicated. Um, it's very state by state, but they are like, they're, they're working to find ways to eliminate barriers for women that are more actionable. So I think big kudos in that regard. Yeah. I wonder what the price price tag on childcare, what that would look like at a race. Yeah. 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 Anybody has hard. any ideas, send us a DM. <clears throat> I don't really know. Yeah. Well, we are all childless presently. Um, that's in, in it's, in, it's intentional. Um, so I think that it's, uh, I'm actually, there's an article that will have, that will be out on free trail by the time this comes out, um, called ultra mom, ultra mom running. And it's a really long article with five interviews from five mothers in the ultra running community with kids age, like ages one to 20 something, um, including like Pam Smith and Sarah Lavender Smith and, um, Katie Asmith and talking about like, not tips and tricks really, but like the, you know, like what it takes to kind of like manage the stuff and like how they do it. And they all talk about like 
it takes a village type of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, as far as, uh, there's a single mom that was involved in the article as well, talking about like what she, what she needs to do to get things done type of thing. So, Mm. um, that's over on freetrail.com if you want to check it out. Um, that's cool. Alicia wrote it for us and it's really, really wonderful, Mm. but yeah, lots, lots of unknowns there. I feel like in the, for us in the, in the mom space. So you let us know if you're listening and you've got a, you got little ones that you're chasing while you're trying to make this stuff happen. Mm. Um, the other one that kind of is in the same vein is Tarawera again, uh, just happened a couple of weeks ago and over all of the race distances, they came out to 49% female participation, um, as an average for the race weekends, probably less than the hundred miler more in the 50 K. Um, and this is, this has been a theme for them for years. Um, same with ultra trail Australia, I believe. And so I'm not sure what New Zealand and Australia are doing, but they're doing something right. And, uh, we'd like you to teach us your ways. <laughs> yeah. Maybe it's like the local participation too. I'd like to see kind of a breakdown of like the demographics of like where people are Tra- coming people from. traveling from right. or versus local athletes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would agree on that, but yeah, um, we're, I think we've got an article that won't come out for a couple of weeks yet on free trail again. Um, but someone's going to kind of continue to look into, um, Tarawera and the races in Australia to kind of see like, is it cutoff times? Is it support? Like what, what is it that pulls, Mm. pulls more women to participate in in those races? Yeah. Interesting. And if they don't find anything in those numbers, I wonder if it's just like the amount of research and public communication around female participation in sport in at least New Zealand, you know, it's really high. So I wonder if that like influences the mindset of, of women looking to do hard things. Yeah, totally. And then I think the final bit of news that I want to touch on is uh, a new podcast. So when you're sick of listening Mm -hmm. to us, you can listen to more women talk about ultra running, but specifically sub sub ultra distance running. Um, so if you're, if you're sick of the long stuff, there's a new podcast coming out called the sub hub and it's with Danny Moreno and MK Sullivan. And the first two episodes are out and it's going to be about all things sub ultra distance. So golden trail world series, vertical stuff, um, making us teams competing at worlds, um, like training for this stuff. I think Danny and MK will reflect a lot on their own racing um, as they, you know, are rubbing shoulders and elbows and whatever with the best, the best of the best this season. <laughs> yeah. I'm really excited to give it a listen. It's I love the great. two of them. Yeah. 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 They're, they're pretty wonderful. When they texted me, I like immediately texted Dylan and I was like, MK and Danny want to start a podcast. And he's like, let's make it happen. It has to happen right now. So we, we got, we got another one. We should do a collab episode. Yeah. yeah. Oh, can do you think people listening right now? Do you think you could handle the three of us plus Danny and MK in one podcast episode? Oh, yeah. Too much might blow people's minds, but no. might be worth it. Would be worth it. It's the biggest roundtable ever. I love it. <laughs> okay. Before we dive into the meat and potatoes of the show, we have to give one more humongous shout out um, to the feed. I love the feed. I finally got my hand on those uh, limited edition waffles, the, co- the cookies and cream waffles. Oh, aren't they so good? They're so good. So good. It, I eat them like when I'm running out the door um, to get, like drive to the trailhead type of thing when I just like need calories stat um, because I've been focusing on coffee all morning, for example. Um, and it, they're amazing. And so if you would also like to try any nutritional products or recovery products or 
I mean, they literally have everything. I got a cool water bottle recently, a very cool Trail Society water bottle recently. Mm-hmm. Hillary's, if you're watching this, Hillary's drinking out of uh, the feed stickered water <laughs> bottle. Um, very good <laughs> ad placement, Hillary. Um, but if you want to try it, you can go to our landing page, which is www.thefeed.com slash Trail Society. There you're going to put in a little bit of information and it's going to give you a code, a credit um, to use towards a current purchase or a future purchase. Um, and it should equate to $15 a quarter, just $60 over the year. Um, and with your next order, um, you can get a free water bottle, a free Trail Society water bottle. And they are so, so cool. We have to give a special shout out to Rachel Webb um, for tagging us with her Trail Society water bottle. Um, it's really, really cool. Yeah, they're really beautiful. Oh, yeah. Mine's coming soon. <laughs> Yay! Woohoo! Okay. Meat and potatoes. Is everyone ready? Are we strapped in? <laughs> Are we psychologically fatigued? <laughs> Hopefully not. Yeah, just had some matcha, so I'm talking really fast hmm. today, um, but I needed to pick me up as thunderstorms are rolling through Seattle and it's way darker than it should be. Um, but this, so essentially this idea was stemmed when I think Hillary pulled a sweat science article by Alex Hutchinson and it was going to be in the news one week and then we did not have enough time to talk about it. And we're like, you know what? Heck, this will make a great like discussion piece for us. And so I've been brainstorming this for a while on my runs recently. And it it struck me as this kind of funny idea of um, like, we spend so much energy in particular, like training the physical side of ultra running. And it is a physical task, obviously, but like how much time do we spend preparing the mental or psychological component for completing or competing in an ultra? Like what, what do you guys think is your breakdown, your daily or weekly breakdown of working on the mental side? I mean, yeah, I mean, I had listened to a podcast that Dylan did um, with Tom Evans and he talked about how he will like spend more time meeting with his sports psychologist than a time with like a, yeah, like a physical therapist or like a PT to like do like muscle work or things like that. And I think if like you break it down, I think it's easier to like, people might break it down to a race. Like they'll even say like, oh, ultra running is like 90% mental, like 10% physical. But still, like preparing, it still takes a lot of time. And I think, like, when we're going out for a run, we don't necessarily think, like, oh, like this is a chance to practice, like the strategies or things that we're going to talk about, like later for developing this quote unquote mental toughness, right? And we'll we'll define it too. But I mean, like purposeful, like purposeful training to like think about mental toughness. I think it's how how the how like you frame it, right? Like if you're going out in your run, and if it's not if conditions aren't perfect it's like okay well this is going to turn into that kind of like practicing these these said strategies um i think it it should be equal but um it it obviously i mean i think i think there should be some extra designated time for mental specific practices if you're sitting here right now and you're like oh my goodness i've never practiced mental mental skills ever the the answer is that you're probably wrong and you probably have (laughs) you just didn't know it but there's there's a piece to that too that you got to think about a little bit more and I think the other idea is is that like this is the the perfect time to be working about that working on this or thinking about it right just as you're thinking about your big a race that's coming up this summer or this fall 
um, this is the time to start like laying the foundation for all those other parts is practicing your nutrition strategies, practicing your, your mental skills to go into that race. And it doesn't need to feel like I'm doing these intervals, for example, but like now is the time. I feel like I frequently get a text or an email, like the two weeks out from the race being like, what is my mental strategy for this race? And I'm like, we don't institute a new strength training program two weeks out from a race or six weeks out from a race, right? We don't start, we don't start training in general, like six weeks out from a race. Like it needs to be this continual process. And I think that's kind of an interesting component of it that we can dive into a little bit more. Um, but I think to lay the foundation for this all, we should talk a little bit about the, the article itself and the science that is featured in the article. So again, it's a sweat science article by Alex Hutchinson. Um, and it is called how sports psychologists define mental toughness. And it highlights the study by Bernard Tom, uh, Tom and colleagues from the university of Lavelle in Canada and the actual scientific article, which is wordy as heck is called <laughs> mental toughness in sport colon good use of a colon testing the goal expectancy, self-control or the GES model maybe not the best acronym, um, um, model among runners and cyclists using cross-sectional and experimental designs. Um, to, so to start, can Hillary, I know that you're probably maybe most familiar with the study and then I'd love to hear from Keely too, kind of on the study breakdown, but like what exactly was the study that's featured in this article? Right. So just kind of a, just a general, um, a general outline of, of kind of, of what Bernard Tom did. Um, so th- she has this view of mental toughness, um, as a psychological resource to help you when you're faced with a stressor. So like, if you think about this, like a race, it can be a very like stressful, um, event, right. For, for an athlete. And so, um, there's two key elements to this, um, to basically breaking down to kind of set up her set up her experiments, right? So it's the initial goals that are hard to reach under any circumstances. So this is this is a race, like you're working at like physiological capacity, um, so it's very difficult. Um, so that's the first thing. So it's a very initial goal that's very hard, and the there's a situational twist that makes these events even harder. So dun, you can, dun, dun. situational <laughs> right? twist. So you can think about, think about a race, like things go wrong, right? Even, um, it's ultra running. So much goes wrong. This is very (laughs) pertinent. This is very pertinent, even if it's contrived for a research study. Totally. And so, um, so they, they basically, so you kind of have to start with like, you have a tab, a controlled study. Um, and so the controlled study was a 20 minute time trial. So this is like kind of your standard, um, like your, like when you see people hooked up to those machines, like, um, like a kind of a, just a threshold test on a bike. Um, so they're kind of on, on a bike, uh, in a, in a lab, um, a time trial on a bike, and then the screen goes blank, not showing you the data. And so basically this is very important. Like if you think about it for, um, like for a cyclist, it's your power numbers, right. That kind of tell you that you're working hard enough or like in the right zone, right. Um, for your runners, it could be like your, your watch obviously. Um, but for this, it's a 20 minute time trial on a bike, the screen goes blank, not showing you the data. Half of them, of the the athletes that did this before this, this time trial, they spent 30 minutes doing a mentally fatiguing computer task, um, to sap their self-control, right? So she's making them more emotional. (laughs) Yes. Or like tired, right? Cause she's testing this hypothesis that this, that mental toughness is a psychological resource. that's finite. Um, and then those that had to complete the mentally fatiguing task prior to the screen going blank did not respond to this adversity as well. 
Um, yeah. And then, so this, then the, the second study was this me um, mental status may impact race outcomes, obviously. <laughs> so higher self-efficacy and self-control ended up, uh, people who had higher self-efficacy and self-control ended up with more successful race outcomes relative to their, to their goals. Um, to those counterparts or those other athletes who had these uh, measurably lower um, self-efficacy or self-controls according to how Bernard Tom measured them. So it's kind of a general synopsis. But yeah, testing this hypothesis that she views mental toughness as a psychological resource that is like as as is, is finite. Yeah, I, I loved and this, there's two things here. She uh, it's quoted um in the article that mental toughness isn't a stable characteristic uh, like i think this is like that's kind of like the critical part and that some people um have it's a, it's a, it is blah. it isn't a stable characteristic that some people have and others don't instead it's a process that kicks in when we're struggling to achieve something in the face of difficulty and we can improve that process right and then there's this idea of self efficacy that's brought up and self-efficacy by definition, it's not really defined in the article is an individual's belief in his or her capacity to execute behaviors necessary to produce specific performance attainments. And there's a whole science of self-efficacy. That's super, super interesting. Like how do you build it, et cetera? Like what, what do you guys think of when you think of mental toughness? Like, like just broad strokes, like if, if Keely, if someone, when someone recently, you right, you were doing an interview and someone asked you like, we're less tough now, like what is mental toughness do you think most people believe it is versus like, what do you think mental toughness is? I think initially, you know, we all think that mental toughness is just our ability to push through a really daunting task and our ability to push through any daunting task, whether it's something that's in our control or something that's out of our control. Um, and I think this is really pertinent in trail running because, or ultra running, because the sport in itself is extremely hard and requires a lot of mental toughness, right? So mental toughness in relation to ultra running is our ability to push through those aches and pains we have at mile 60 of a 100 mile, our ability to push through our body's desire to stop in the middle of a race, right? Because those races are really, really hard. And so we need a level of mental toughness to even participate in this sport. We don't need to be mentally tough and push through the lack of fueling for three hours, if that's within our control, like we don't need to make running harder. We don't need to make our mental toughness need to come out even faster because we refuse to fuel. Like we get to control that. And so lately I've just been talking to a lot of people about this because they, they talked to me about black Canyon wondering like, what are my tricks to mental toughness? And when I talk about feeling really calm during the race and fueling and doing all these things, they automatically think that I, I don't have to be as tough. Um, but I think that's like the, the craziest part of this sport is that it's obviously still requiring me to be really, really tough. I still have to stay focused, push through like pains through falls, through doubts for a hundred kilometers and stay mentally strong. But what my point was recently is that like, I'm eliminating some of these things that are controlled because I'm able to fuel so that I don't have to stress about that and push through that. And I'm able to, you know, run calmly through aid stations and listen to my crew and take the necessary steps that are going to make the run easier so that I don't need to use mental energy there. Yeah. I think that's super, super critical. Hillary, before we hit record, we were talking a little bit about kind of like, yeah, how do we define toughness? Right. And you brought up um, Steve Magnus's book do hard things so like for you like what is this evolution of like mental toughness been as far as like what we what you thought it was and what you think it is now right and so it's kind of like what what keely described too it's like i think 
Sometimes in, I think not just the world of ultra running, but in the world of sport, um, people pride themselves on, I mean, David Goggins is a, is a, is a, is a, I think a big proponent of this, of just like kind of the suck it up and like the military boot camp idea of mental toughness. And Steve Magnus kind of goes into this into his book and kind of dissects, um, you know, such boot camps of like for like becoming part of, you know, the Marines or, um, you know, the, like these football teams that kind of went through these heinous, um, just really, really hard boot camps, like right before, before they start the season and really analyzing, okay, what actually was it that made these people quote unquote more tough and able to like have a winning season or be uh, an excellent soldier, et cetera, et cetera. And it wasn't this actual boot camp, this idea of like suffering and gritting through it. It was more about, um, like, leaning on other people or being able to problem solve and have a team and and someone that you could rely upon. It was all these other kind of intangible aspects of toughness that are harder to measure. Um, And so I think that's kind of where, where we're at now. Um, It's a question that I get asked frequently. It's like, oh, based on like the things that have happened to you, you must have like this, you know, untapped potential of like mental toughness because of like these things you've gone through. And it's like, it's more, it's more situational and more, um, I think it ebbs and flows and more dynamic than that. Um, and I, I think it's, we're, we're, we're understanding, I think, um, just about, just more about the brain and its capacity to kind of, to, to learn things, but it's, it's also just kind of like a, a muscle too. I mean, it's like, you can, you can get better at, at these things. It can become stronger at doing certain tasks, but also sometimes it needs to rest and like, yeah. you know, let, let things um, kind of simmer for a bit before you're able to do another hard, another hard task again. Um, but yeah, I think it's, le- it's less a way, this idea of toughness. Um, that was one thing I didn't really like about the articles. Like, like, like that mental toughness, right. It kind of leads it up to how you described it, but this idea of like, like, I think maybe that's also just like our definition of what people think toughness is, is this like mm-hmm. idea of grittiness as opposed to something that or you can stubbornness. improve. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. Right. One thing but, I do, I do think is important. And I think why we're talking about this is so important is that they did describe mental toughness in relation to their ability to respond to adversity, which mm-hmm. I think is a really good way to talk about mental toughness. Because mm-hmm. to your point, Corinne, earlier in our sport, there are so many things that can go wrong. And you know, putting aside those that we can control, there's still going to be a lot that might be out of our yeah. control that happen. And so I think really figuring out how to optimize our ability to respond to these adversities with a really calm demeanor and still be able to continue performing at a high level, regardless of what happens is really, really important. And so I think while this article, I'm agreeing with Hillary that it definitely is, is uh, an article that could be interpreted incorrectly. And, you know, mm-hmm. some people might run away with it and say, Oh, I need to be tougher. I need to be tougher. Hoorah, rah. <laughs> I do think that while we discuss it and actually kind of talk about it more nuanced because it, it doesn't necessarily say that, right. It says more like mm. we need to be able to, adapt to these stressors in a really positive way so that we can continue to perform at our highest. And I think if we can try to like skew it that way, then the article is really positive. Yeah. They had, they, right. they, they had one more thing in the article that we'll touch on later about like, Oh, how could you practice this? And it's like, there are some really obvious and I think good ways to practice it. And then there's like one that feels very contrived and like you're threading the needle more than necessary, which we probably see with our athletes um, and ourselves at times of like having to contrive scenarios to suffer more, um, which 
I don't think is actually needed. But I think I like that, like Kaylee, I really like what you say, said there. And, and Hillary mentioned the word suffering. It's like, yeah, in my mind, like mental toughness isn't this idea that like, oh, I'm just really good at suffering. It's more that when things go wrong, I have the emotional capacity to make decisions. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that actually in race scenarios, I have a much higher capacity to do that than I do in my normal day-to-day life. And I don't know (laughs) why, but when I pin a bib on, I am so much better at like rolling with it and being like, this happened. This is how I troubleshoot it. And I don't always do that in my day-to-day life, which seems like the opposite problem of Mm -hmm. uh, how the study is set up. But the idea being that it's not necessarily about like, oh, I can suffer better than anyone else out there. It's like, no, I've got the emotional capacity and the skills that I practice when things do go awry to quickly adapt, accept, and like move on versus Mm -hmm. like throw a hissy fit that I think we've all probably wanted to throw at times out on the trail. I know I haven't done it running, but I've definitely done it uh, on my bike or Mm -hmm. backcountry skiing um, (laughs) where it's like, you have a, you have a full melty and we're trying to avoid the melty. And I think that that, that to my mind is like mental toughness. It's the like having mm-hmm. the skills to avoid the melty, um, yeah. which is very science, very sciencey. Yeah. Avoid but also it's like 100% related to the amount of stress that's going through your body. Right. Because mm-hmm. to what we were talking about offline and to something that, um, we actually talked about with Lauren Fleshman, if you're starting something with a high level of stress, so you had to do this crazy computer task, or you're really stressed because you feel like you're wearing this skin tight bikini on the start line of a track meet and you don't like your body and you have all these extra stressors already, then if you're pushing yourself through an endurance event and you hit another stressor, like you're, there's just too much stress. You're not going to be mm-hmm. able to respond to that stress in a positive way. It's going to tip you over your breaking point. And you have less capacity, right? Yeah. It's like akin to stress buckets, right? Like, mm-hmm. When you go in preloaded with stress, your capacity to handle anything that tips that stress scale more goes mm-hmm. way, way down. Um, I like that. There's like a threshold. There's a there's an activation. It's not an activation energy. It's like a titration. It's yeah. like when the titration has gone too far, you know, you've messed up. Um, and Dylan <laughs> has talked about this. And I think a lot of us have talked about this too, of like going into races, ready to go to the well, mm-hmm. right? This idea of like that mental mental break, mental taper that we'll talk about here in a second, actually, of like prepping yourself for a race or for a hard workout by mentally setting yourself up to do that. And that's like by, like by removing some of those stressors ahead of a big race Mm -hmm. ahead of a, um, big workout, et cetera. So I guess from there, it's kind of like, I'd like to talk about like, what exactly did they learn in the study? takeaway is that you could improve upon your mental toughness and like you can become better at it but that basically she kind of defined four components that make um that define um mental toughness or contribute to it and this is attention effort perseverance and strategies and so um there's ways i mean you can talk about it to like to make them all stronger and like how you can kind of do that if you're wondering if you've ever actually practiced mental training and just and have just been training <laughs> um but yeah, I mean, it's it kind of goes down simply, and Alex Hutchison kind of mentions that and re-references um, different studies and articles about things like self-talk, like positive self-talk. Um, it talks about um, like what we what we just talked about, avoiding to like avoiding 
things, tasks or things that are cause extra stress before important training or certainly before races. I mean, I think in particular about like certain stressful races like Western States or UTMB, but particularly like UTMB where there's like a ton going on before the week. And it's like minimizing those kind of outside stressors before you have to, you know, go to said well. Um, but yeah, like kind of focusing on, um, like I think different strategies are kind of, I think Courtney actually mentioned this in her post from, um, from her race at Trans Grand Canaria is like breaking the race up into digestible chunks. So something that seems extremely long, like she was talking about like the last marathon of that race, it seems so long to get to the finish line, but she continued to kind of break up the race in digestible chunks that made it easier for her to kind of keep going. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think another thing that really stood out to me about kind of the conclusions of the paper was that a lot of it was around self-control and how I interpreted that was an internal locus of control versus an external. And so you feel very in control of what the outcome of the said event is going to be. You have high self-efficacy. So you think that your ability to succeed is very high. Like you have a lot of confidence in your ability to succeed. And I think that related to a higher achievement in these adverse scenarios. Right. And so like going into a race, feeling very self-control and having an internal locus of control instead of thinking about all these external things that aren't under your control and having high confidence that you're going to be able to achieve these tasks kind of set you up to be able to navigate these adverse scenarios a lot better. Um, yeah. And that resonated really, really deeply with me. Yeah. And we know that like emotional state impacts self-efficacy, like in particular, i.e. like your self-efficacy is generally much higher when you're in a positive emotional state and lower when you're in a negative one. And that just speaks to the importance again, of that ability to regulate your emotional response to any situation. Um, and like, and maybe that is just like refocusing on your like internal loci of control. There was some, there's some book, I feel like Addie Bracey's book is a great, is a great skill book. There's this old Canadian like psychologist who has a similar, a similar book. Um, mm. Oh, it's called in pursuit of excellence. And it's written by this like old male Canadian sports psychologist. And it's really good. It's really dry. Addie's Addie Bracey's book, um, which is like all about like skill set, mental skill sets for ultra running is like themed in a very similar manner, but more mm. specific to the tra- to trail and ultra running. So it's like either I think it'd be great resources if you're like sitting here listening to us, like how do I actually mm. do, like I need a workbook for this. That's where mm-hmm. I would send you is I is either of those books. And I think Addie's is so specific to our sport that that would be a great, a great place to start. And you get kind of all of the all of the uh in pursuit of excellence kind of ideas there. But it's all about like mm-hmm. being able to reshape and refocus your 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 self-control, like the things that you can control and like mm-hmm. bringing your focus inward. Um, not getting distracted by the the craziness that is going on around you. Yeah. Another book that if anybody wants to come borrow my MCAT behavioral sciences book, um, I've been learning a lot about self-efficacy lately. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. I think one thing that's really interesting. Yeah. So like the article, like the, the study itself was like, okay, set challenging goals, um, we've talked more about goal setting, improve self-control. That's like mindfulness is one way to kind of work on that in your day-to-day life. Um, and the mental taper kind of falls into that. And then like improving self-efficacy, um, which is like, you know, like using self-talk, like looking, like looking to modeling, like people that you, like you see someone else complete a task, you're more likely to think that you can complete the task, et cetera, which seems really, really simple, but it feels more complex than that in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But like, this is the part of the article where I was like, oh, I don't know if I like this. And this was like the second approach proposed by the research um, author. And that was like the environmental approach, like i.e. put yourself in a stressful training situation so that you can practice the skills and mindset you'll need to handle stressors during competition. And Alex Hutchinson said, you know, this seems like a very delicate needle to thread. You don't want to turn workouts into unnecessarily unpleasant suffer fests, but a little stress now and then might be useful was like what he was quoted as saying. And I was like, this reminds me of like an old AJW article um, about like, yeah, you got to go get blisters on your feet and like go chafe and like run back and forth through a Creek for a while, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, that's so David Goggins to me. And it's like, but, but athletes will like reach out and they'll be like, how do I get more mentally tough? And I'm like, like, did you like show up to your workout after your kid was sick all night? Like, did you get out of your house in the pouring rain? Cause you live in the PNW and it's wintertime. Um, and like still do your run. Like, did you, did you show up for yourself, for your, for your family, for your job, um, when you're tired, like that shit is tough. Like in my mind, like you're practicing that every single day, just by like showing up and like doing the workout that scares you that your coach Mm -hmm. prescribed, that seems really silly. And you're like, I don't know how many three minute intervals I can do in a row before I die. Um, (laughs) we're going to find out today. Like those, those things don't do that, but like workouts (laughs) are intimidating yeah. weather conditions are intimidating. I'm not telling you to go like intentionally seek mm-hmm. suffering. Honestly, mm-hmm. like you're, you're paying money to run an ultra, like you are intentionally mm-hmm. seeking suffering in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like, that to me was the only part where I was like, Ooh, I feel like we're missing the the audience point here in which it's like, I think if we look hard enough, we'll re- we'll realize that we're like, most of us are practicing this in our daily lives. Yeah. And mm-hmm. I was almost about to add, like, I think you've brought this up a couple of times, Corinne. So I feel like I'm allowed to say it, but you've, you've called out Hillary for stress training yes. and <laughs> for sure have also done that. And I think actually getting to a mindset that you can recognize that and eliminate said stress training is like, a, is, is, is improving your mental toughness or your mental capacity to handle adversity. Because to me, like when I would used to stress train, it was because I wasn't able to handle mental adversity and like my cop out was to go run. Right. And so I think like, even if it's like, okay, cool, you're doing the runs your coach prescribed, you're getting out there in the dark, you're doing all these things, but it's also like, are you having a more intimate conversation with yourself to like, make sure your why is there and that you're staying Mm -hmm. on track and you're not doing excessive things that are not important or like, they're going to be negatively impacting your performance. Like, I think that's just as important. And I don't think it's talked about in this article at all. I don't really know how it could be talked about, but I do think that like, lack of suffering and ability to be really mentally strong in that decision is almost just as important. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, I think like now certainly it's like you like learning what like works and what like, you know, what works and what doesn't, what's necessary and what doesn't. And so now like if I'm feeling, you know, the recognizing, okay, like this, is this going to actually be like, this is why like we talked about having coaches, like talk to your coach about, okay, like, do I really need to do this? Or like, is it okay to rest? Or like, if I'm like wanting to fill an hour with something like that, how would I like call my sports psychologist instead? It's like, you know, fill it with these other things that are more, um, that are more useful and beneficial. But yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I don't think they're, I don't know how they would incorporate. It's like, yeah. well, it's like making your default mental status, not a stress response. Because to Mm -hmm. me, like when Mm -hmm. you're stress training, it's because you have this stress response and like, you're not able to control it. And so you need to burn off this extra stress. 
But like, if you're able to like cope to this extra stressor from like, maybe you're not working out because you're tapering, like you being able to adapt to that mentally could mimic mental fortitude. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I've had a lot of conversations with athletes recently about like their training and some of them have been like, you know, getting caught in that comparison trap, which is like part of the, like, are you being psychologically flexible or inflexible question, which we haven't really talked about yet, but we will in a second. Um, this idea of like, no, you're doing what's like best for you. Like their, their concern being like, well, if I'm doing less than my peers, like I, I really struggle with that. And it's like good to recognize that you're struggling with mm-hmm. that. And like, maybe why you're struggling with that is the next question. It's like kind of that, like coachability question. Like, why, why are you pushing back so hard? Like, what's the, what's the undercurrent? Like, what are you running from type of thing? Like, what, what are you actually running from? Like we joke about running from things all the time, but like, if you're out there stress exercising, maybe you are running from things. Um, so I think that is like an interesting kind of like idea that people need to, to bounce around. Um, and so I think like kind of to round things out, I'd like to just like touch briefly on this idea of psychological flexibility that my former colleague, Neil Palace was like a big proponent of. And I came up kind of casually in a conversation that like psychological flexibility is greater than mental toughness. And that probably is not like based on this definition of mental toughness, just kind of, it's more like the David Goggins mental toughness. And I really liked it because it pointed to this idea that psychological flexibility is being in contact with the present moment by being fully aware of your emotions, sensations, and thoughts and welcome, welcoming them all in. Right. So not like not doing the, like I'm avoiding, I'm avoiding this because it stresses me out thing, which I am very good at. Um, and that, that means like even welcoming in those undesired sensations and feelings in order to continue to pursue your goals. And I'm wondering, you know, like, does that like the idea of psychological flexibility, which here might be a very similar definition that the authors propose for mental toughness. Like, does that just sound better to you all? Or is that just me that really likes this idea of psychological flexibility? <laughs> I like it. I mean, yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know. I, I think, I think the more flexible you are, like the, like the better, I don't, I don't really, I thought I dealt with um, things like in a more rigid manner but in many ways I can be very rigid but I think having some sort of flexibility is always better it gives you permission to like let life happen yeah and I think that like the opposite right is like inflexibility and I feel like that is that is where a lot of us get stuck when it comes to like being able to have the emotional capacity to deal with things and Keely you brought up this idea which you wrote about for us on free trail um in a really great article uh which is titled I'm gonna say it um, bigger than the run, your relationship with running. And I really like this idea of it playing off of inflexibility. And it's kind of the like, how tough is too tough idea? Like, what, like, why do we do these things? What, like, what are we seeking out? And I'm wondering if you can just touch on that a little bit to kind of round around this psychological flexibility and flexibility thing out. I think it ties really nicely into characteristics you threw into the doc, mm-hmm. uh, specifically the one talking about falling out of contact with the present moment, because I think being mentally tough does not bring that into account at all. Like it doesn't require you to be in touch with your surroundings and with how your body feels and all of these things. And I think that's kind of what we wanted to highlight in the article that we published was that while our sport praises toughness, a lot of athletes will continue to push through this toughness in times of despair, right? Like they will go pushing through during injury, during relationship struggles, during work struggles, you know, during all sorts of things 
to no performance enhancement for themselves. Right. And it's like, our sport doesn't discourage that. And so I think that the goal with this article was to like work with Danielle, who's one of our in-house psychologists, um, or mental health therapists, um, to really just raise people's attention to, suffering and how the sport is hard enough already. And so we don't have to be tough in every single thing. And there's a lot of things that are inside of our control that we get to have a control on and that don't have to be something we need to tough through. And so, yeah, just kind of like acknowledging that while toughness is important, it doesn't need to be everything. Yeah. Being tough and being stubborn aren't the same thing, kids. Yeah. <laughs> be be pliable, be flexible. Yeah. Stay in the moment. Practice I it. Think one quick round of just like, what's your go-to mental, yeah. um, like yeah. trick, like pre-race or whatever it is, that'd be good too. And then we can slam it. That- yeah. Yeah. So this is, I think really good advice, tying it back to what we do. Okay. Me first. Haha. <laughs> I called dibs. So you guys can't copy me. Perfect. Um, mine is, I think it's an Addy Bracy one actually. And it comes down to like run the mile you're in. And I tell myself that in races, I tell myself that in training, I'm like, it kind of brings me back to the present moment. Like run the mile you're in, take the mile you're given. And like that mantra can change around a little bit, but that's what it's focused on. It's like focusing on just this mile, just this moment and like getting, getting through it as opposed to like anticipating what's coming down the road, good, good or bad. I love that. One okay, thing, yeah, go for it. <laughs> um, something to say, like, <clears throat> excuse me, during, during a race um, is to stay curious like in the moment of, so this is like, if I start to feel bad, um, or if I'm starting to have a, like a bad stretch, I'm like staying curious with like, okay, the like feelings in my body, or if I need to have like an external distraction for like what I'm feeling inside or like, you know, like staying curious with the terrain. Um, it's just like a reminder that I can help like keep checking in and be like present in that exact moment. Um, that's something that has really helped me. Love it. Keely, what do you have? Something I practiced before Black Canyons was starting my mantra early. And so my mantra for Black Canyon was to be like calm and confident. And my goal the week before the race was to start that mantra then. And so the race week, like all I did were things that kept me calm. And so I avoided a lot of the social media things going on around the race. I avoided going to areas where I knew there were going to be a lot of runners Um, And I just stayed confident in the work that I had done and was really confident in my ability to do the race. And then I think that translated really well going into the race because I'd been practicing those mindsets all week so that when I got to the race, I felt really calm at the beginning of the race and confident in my ability. And then during the race, when I would start getting caught up in the race, I would have to check back in and say, okay, am I feeling calm? Am I still confident in my ability? I am doing enough. Like I can continue on. And I think that really translated well for me because it was something I've been practicing all week. And so it felt easy to practice it during the race as well. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Okay. We've got three minutes before we've got to kick Keely out of here so she can go lift weights with the wallabies. Okay. <laughs> Which means it's time to society slam. Um, people are pulling things out of the dock because you guys are sending them to our trail society, social media. Thank you all <laughs> for doing that. Um, one of the questions that came through was like, what does a typical day of fueling look like? And how does that question make you guys feel? Cause I'm not a big fan of like the Instagram, like this is what I eat on a normal day type of thing. Like what, <laughs> like what is the kind of like consensus there? 
I don't like that either. I've never been someone to kind of like like post about that, even though it is a common question that I get as well. Um, and it's so personalized, I think, um, of, of like the workouts that you're doing, like, like you know, like Keely just mentioned, like the brain power that you're using, like if you're studying a lot or like the stress and things that are kind of Eat that's enough going on. always. Like, totally. I default think, state. I think <laughs> answering it in a very general way is important though. I think emphasizing that like, when you're hungry, you should eat more. Like when you're training mm-hmm. a lot, you should have as many breasts as you need. Right. Like I've told oh, yeah. people Second I've had breakfast four breakfasts before great. and Third like, who cares? Amazing. Like we're doing so many things to our body that like, we just need to ingest like as much food as we can. And, and if we're hungry, we need to eat and there's no pride in, in eating less. Right. Like, right. But I, I do think that some people don't have that self-awareness. I think that can take a little mm-hmm. bit I think that can take a little bit um, to develop. And in my case, like, um, like I've had a history with an eating disorder. And so I needed, I needed to actually have someone like outside looking at things so that I almost kind of had like the proof to be, to be like, okay, like I, I needed like that help, that support from, from other people to be like, Hey, you are eating enough. Like this is, this is great. Or there's like room for improvement. Like you need to be eating more. Um, that's something that really helped me, especially when I was training. Um, and we're going to have someone on yeah. to talk more about the ins and outs of fueling for endurance athletes. Cause we've had a lot of nutrition questions. Mm-hmm. Um, some very specific, some very broad, um, some female inclined, some not. And just like, we're going to bring on, um, will, who's a good friend of ours, who's one of the free trail experts, um, who does like a very holistic, has a very holistic approach to nutrition. And so we're going to bring him on for an interview to kind of talk about the ins and outs of, of day-to-day fueling for endurance athletes and also like race day fueling for endurance athletes. So keep your eyes out for that, that, that is up and coming for us. What else? Anyone else have any other slams they want to, they want to dole out to the community? No, it's just, it's just been really fun to read all of like, just getting like individual, like DM messages on the, on the trail society, um, page of just like people just showing the love, like sharing our stories and just like sending DMs to be like, Hey, hi, hello. You're amazing. (laughs) It's nice. (laughs) Yeah. Keely, anything you want to add? Uh, I think that's all I got for the week. Okay. So this one was kind of an interesting one, y'all, because we like talked about a lot of things in kind of broad strokes and some very specific things and a lot of specific details. So if you've got questions about what we talked about, about people to work with, about books to read, about articles that you might be interested in, like slide into our DMs about this because we can we can bring this up in future episodes for you all. So we hope you loved it. We hope that you're practicing your mindfulness because you're tough as heck. And until next time, we'll see you out on the trails.